Truth is stranger than fiction. It's often said. And that's certainly the case when it comes to the incarnation. The belief that Jesus is God in human flesh. The belief that he is fully God and fully human. And we just sang that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. This really isn't something that people would make up. When you make up a story, a fictional story, you you make it somewhat believable. And sometimes, however, truth is stranger than fiction. How could how could a little that little baby in the manger be God? Fully God and fully human. It's a mystery to us, something that we cannot fully uh, comprehend. We call it a theological mystery. Now, we like to solve mysteries. If we're watching, uh, for example, a murder mystery, we want at the end for the mystery to be solved. We won't, don't want to get to the end of the movie and they never tell us who committed the murder. Or if we're reading a novel and there's a mystery, uh, we come to the end and there are, the last chapter is missing. We never uh, get the solving of the mystery. We don't like that. We like mysteries to be solved. But when it comes to theological mysteries, like how Jesus can be God in human flesh, fully God and fully human, how, how the Son can be equal with the Father, but at the same time only one God. These are theological mysteries. And when we, I'll say, say this in quotes, solve a theological mystery like the incarnation, what we end up with is, is heresy, error something contrary to an essential belief of Christianity. So when we solve, or think we've solved, a theological mystery, what we end up with is is heresy. For example, people have tried to to solve the mystery of, of Jesus becoming or being both God the Son and the Son of God. It really doesn't make sense to us how he could be both, both the Son of God and God the Son. The Son of God, but equal with the Father as God. A mystery to us. And people try to solve that mystery. One attempt to solve the mystery is something known as, an, as uh, Arianism. This was way back in the, uh, the third or fourth century. And uh, it's the, the belief that, that the Son is not equal to the Father. Instead, the Son was created by the Father. So Jesus created by God, not eternal. It denies the stranger than fiction truth that the Son is equal with the Father. So we need to be careful with trying to solve these mysteries or or dumb them down or make them easier or simpler to understand. The truth is, is we, we really can't understand this, that, that Jesus was not an ordinary baby. He was fully human, but at the same time, fully God. And how could that little baby be God in human flesh? I don't understand it all. But if God is eternal, if God is infinite, there will be lots about him that we really can't understand. 
And so we shouldn't try to solve these mysteries. We should understand what Scripture says, but Scripture doesn't try to give us all of the answers to the questions we have. Now let's get into Matthew chapter, th- uh, chapter 2. We'll start there. And this series is the gospel, sorry, not the gospel, Christmas, which tells the gospel story, of course, but Christmas according to the minor prophets. So we'll get to one of the minor prophets in a moment, but let's start in Matthew chapter 2. And later on, we get down to verse 13, Joseph is warned by an angel in a dream that Herod is about to search for the child, Jesus, to destroy him. And Herod would would soon order that all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under be killed. So Joseph is told to flee to Egypt. So that very night, Joseph leaves Bethlehem and takes Mary and Jesus to Egypt. And then Matthew adds, verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So which prophet is Matthew quoting? He's quoting the prophet Hosea. The words he quotes are found in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. We'll go there in a moment, but the verse says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But before we get into this verse, before we go any further, we should address a couple of common questions concerning Matthew 2, 13 through 18. The first question is, did Herod really order the killing of these baby boys in Bethlehem? Did that really happen? And secondly, did Matthew take Hosea 11, verse 1, out of context. So the first question, did, did Herod really do this? Did this actually happen? Uh, if, you, if you look this up online, for example, Wikipedia, it's commonly known as the Massacre of the Innocents. If you read the Wikipedia article on this topic, you'll discover that, this is a quote, a majority of Herod biographers consider the story fabricated or unhistorical. So in other words, they believe that this story in Matthew chapter 2 didn't actually happen. People say, well, if this actually happened, wouldn't there be a a record of it somewhere other than in Matthew chapter 2? You know, this is an awful thing. Wouldn't there be another book, another writing from this time period that would speak of it? Now, there could be several reasons why that's not the case. I'll give you a couple of reasons why the massacre of the innocents isn't found, or possible reasons why it isn't found in any of these other writings or any other writings from the first century other than in Matthew chapter 2. The first is that killing people, even innocent people, wasn't unusual for Herod. We know that he put to death three of his sons on suspicion of treason, and he killed other family members. 
Uh, Caesar Augustus was quoted as saying, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. Uh, it's kind of a clever statement because in, uh, in Palestine, the Jews, they didn't kill pigs, they didn't eat pork. Uh, it was safer to be Herod's son than his pig because, of course, he was known to have his sons killed. Uh, that's the type of person Herod was. Uh, another another uh, thing that, that Herod did uh, when, when, his, uh, when his life was coming to him, when he was sick, when he was dying, uh, he was uh, concerned that nobody would, would mourn his death. And so he, he uh, orchestrated this, this uh, event where a bunch of respected men would be gathered in a, uh, a certain place in Jericho, and the moment Herod died, these men were to be put to death so that at least someone, or at least there would be mourning over someone uh, when he died. Didn't that really matter to him that they wouldn't be mourning for him? Uh, but again, that's just the kind of man that, that Herod was, not a, not a nice person. So uh, Herod killing some babies, perhaps... Uh, you know, wasn't that notable uh, for this type of person. Uh, the second reason why maybe this wasn't included in, in other history books was that the number of baby boys that would have been killed is much smaller than most people assume. Uh, the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, is correct. Bethlehem at that time was very little. Uh, its population might have been under thousand, might have been 500, we don't know exactly, but it was a very, very small town. So the number of babies killed would have been probably fewer than 20. So obviously that's still a great tragedy, but if it was 10 babies being killed by, by Herod, then perhaps we shouldn't expect it to be seen in other writings. So it's not, it wasn't that hundreds of, of babies were killed, as you know, people imagine when they hear this. It was fewer than 20 in all probability, maybe 15 or 10. We can't be sure. But it wasn't the hundreds or even thousands uh, that people uh, have thought in the past. And so I do believe in Matthew, his gospel being the Word of God, inspired by God. And so that's one reason why I believe this actually did happen. But there are other reasons to believe that this event did, in fact, really happen. Now, what about Matthew quoting Hosea 11, verse 1 here, in relation to his Jesus's coming up out of Egypt? You know, taking a verse out of context, as some people accuse Matthew of doing, uh, that's, that's really perhaps, I would say, one of the biggest, if not the biggest cause of people misinterpreting the Bible. Uh, Philippians 4.13 is a verse that's often taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and people will th just take that verse out of context and think, well, you know, I can, I, can, I can do whatever I put my mind to and God will help me. 
that's not really what it's, it's saying. Uh, it's not that I make up plans and God's going to support me in whatever I, uh, I plan to do. Uh, it's very different if you look at the context. It's whatever I face, good or bad, uh, Christ will give me the strength to face. So taking a verse out of context is something that is commonly done today. Is that what Matthew is doing here? Obviously, what, from what I said before, uh, I don't think that's the case, but that's an accusation that some people make. Now, when you examine Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and its context, you'll discover that this really isn't a prediction about the Messiah. Hosea isn't looking ahead to the future. He's actually looking back to the past, back to a, a very significant event in Israel's history, the most at that time, the most significant event in their history, and that would be the Exodus. You'll read about the Exodus over and over again in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms and the Prophets. This was the big event in their past. You think about the word Exodus, what that means. You can think of another word that starts with E-X, exit. The people of Israel left or exited Egypt, you might know the story, you might not know the story from the book of Exodus. It includes the end of the book of Genesis as well. The people of Israel are in Egypt. Eventually, they become slaves of the Egyptians. God raises up a leader, Moses, who, who leads them out of Egypt. There are the ten plagues. Of course, there's the Passover, the lamb, the blood. Uh, they leave. There's the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the wilderness, and all of that. But God's deliverance of the people from the Egyptians is really the high point and the crossing of the Red Sea. Those are the high points of the story. And so Hosea is looking back to that. So we could go to Hosea chapter 11, not a book we often turn to. One of those minor prophets where the pages perhaps are not as worn in our Bibles. Maybe a difficult one to find. Hosea 11, verse 1, reading it again, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So in this verse, Hosea calls Israel God's son and child. Israel needed help like a little child, and God, as a loving father, delivered Israel out of Egypt. So that's the main thought of that verse. And you can see why, why Matthew would like to include Hosea 11.1 1 in Matthew chapter 2. Like Israel, Jesus is God's son, and like Israel, God called Jesus out of Egypt. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they went to Egypt to escape Herod. Then eventually they came out of Egypt and went to Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. So there are some similarities here between Israel and the story of the Exodus and, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. 
But how can Matthew say that, that Jesus fulfills Hosea 11 verse 1? If it really isn't a prediction about the Messiah to come, if it's actually Hosea looking back to Israel coming out of Egypt when the exodus occurred, how, how, can, how can Matthew say that Jesus fulfills this verse? Well, this is where we get into the foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. And, and Matthew sees Jesus as really reliving the experiences of Israel. He is the ideal Israelite. Israelite. Uh, if you read the book of Exodus and the history of Israel, they failed the Lord. They were unfaithful. But Jesus is the ideal Israelite who, who relives in some ways the experiences of Israel, especially those experiences in the book of Exodus. So you take a quick look at the opening chapters of Matthew's gospel. We were in chapter 2, and you compare them to what, what is written in the book of Exodus about the Israelites, you can see that in some ways, Israel's story is Jesus' story. So in, in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh orders all the Israelite baby boys to be killed. Matthew chapter 2, Herod orders all male children two years old and younger in Bethlehem and its vicinity to be killed. Now, of course, Jesus was not killed. They go to Egypt. In Exodus chapter 2, there's the story of Moses as a baby not being killed by Pharaoh. In Exodus the Israelites leave Egypt. And we have Jesus in Matthew 2 leaving Egypt. Exodus chapter 14, after they leave Egypt, they're pursued by the Egyptians, but they miraculously cross the Red Sea. They go through the water. And then in the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. So the theme of water in both. In the next chapter, Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he is tested. And in the book of Exodus, after they cross the Red Sea, they go into the wilderness where the Israelites are tested. They fail the test while Jesus passes the test. He's tempted by Satan. He resists Satan, and passes the test in the wilderness. In the book of Exodus, Moses receives God's law on Mount Sinai. We get to chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. Jesus interprets God's law in his sermon on the mount. Mount Sinai, sermon on the mount. And so, that continues on, especially as well when you get to the end of the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have a Passover meal together, but he institutes the Lord's Supper, which is like a new Passover. He talks about the new covenant. Then there are the new people of God. He, go, he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations. And so uh, what you see in Matthew's gospel is that uh, the experiences of, of Israel really are the experiences uh, of 
of Jesus. He, he relives those experiences of Israel. He's the ideal Israelite. He remained faithful to God, his father, while Israel did not. And so, in that way, Matthew really sees Jesus as the fulfillment of, of all of this, the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the foreshadowing of him in the experiences of, of Israel. Because out of Israel was to come the Messiah. And so you might say it's a bit of a creative, more creative use of the Old Testament than some of the other uh, prophecies, but still Matthew sees the experience of, of uh, Israel as the experience of, of Jesus, and he became the ideal Israelite. You could also see Jesus as a better Moses who leads a new exodus. And in that way, not only is Israel's story Jesus' story, but Israel's story, in another sense, is our story. You know, the Israelites needed deliverance from slavery in Egypt. We need deliverance from sin and death. God chose Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. God sent Jesus to save us. The firstborn sons of Israel were saved by the blood of the Passover lamb. Uh, we are saved by the blood of our Passover lamb, who is Jesus, God's son. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Uh, the Israelites, after that, they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, we, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are plunged into the waters of baptism Israelites were given the law. We have been given the law of Christ. The Israelites' destination was Canaan, the promised land. We have a final destination, a promised land to come. Uh, even the song they sing after the crossing of the Red Sea, Exodus 15.1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And when we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, uh, the people of heaven sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. So in this sense, Jesus is a better Moses, who, who leads a new exodus, a new deliverance. We could focus on those first three, that we need deliverance. We need deliverance from sin and death. We're like a helpless little child, as, as they're described, Israel's described in Hosea 11, verse 1. Like a little child, we needed help. We needed deliverance. Uh, we could do nothing to make ourselves right before God. We were lost. And so God sent Jesus. Like he sent Moses to the Israelites, he sent Jesus, a better Moses, into this world. And he became a little child. You think of Jesus, the humility the condescension to become a little baby. You know, you think of him in the, the story of, of Matthew chapter 2. 
And he has to go wherever Joseph and Mary take him. If they decide to go from Bethlehem to Egypt, he has to go. If they decide to go from Egypt to Nazareth, he has to go. He's a little child. God the Son. And so he becomes a little helpless child, though not ceasing to be God, but at the same time being a little helpless child coming to this earth to save us. Again, a great mystery. We can't completely understand how that all works out, but it did. And think about how Jesus, as God in human flesh, didn't decide to do this just for a few years. Jesus continues to be both God and man. It wasn't when he got to heaven when he was glorified that he took off his humanity. He continues to be both God and man, and he will forever. And so God sent Jesus to save us, to be our deliverer, our savior. And as Israel, they needed that Passover lamb, the blood, to to put on the doorpost, to, to save the firstborn son from the angel of death. We also needed the blood of the lamb, who is God's son, Jesus. We're saved by his blood, our Passover lamb. And so at Christmas time, we, we focus on the birth of, of a baby, and it's a, a beautiful story. But of course, there is the ugly reality to come, the, the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, dying like a sacrificial lamb for us. And only by his blood can we be forgiven, can be, we be reconciled to God, made right with God, forgiven of our sin. And so Jesus, he's the ideal Israelite. He's also the better Moses who leads a new exodus, a new deliverance by his blood. And he's also the Passover lamb, as I said, who saves us by his blood. And so it's here that we find yet another mystery when it comes to the incarnation. And that's the mystery of, of God's love for us. You know, it's, it's a love that cannot be measured. Its depth cannot be really calculated. It's a love beyond our understanding. When we think about the mysteries of the incarnation, how Jesus is both the Son of God and God the Son how he humbled himself. How he came into this world as, as a vulnerable baby, vulnerable to the threat of Herod, having to escape to Egypt, coming back. And yet in all of this, 
He fulfilled the plan of the Father, the ideal Israelite. He obeyed God's law. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins as our Passover lamb. And he leads, as a better Moses, a new exodus. He died to deliver us, to save us. This is, these are all great mysteries to us. Why God would do that, all of this, for us. You know, it's a, it's a, rather, a rather obscure verse, Hosea 11, verse 1, that, that Matthew quotes. And just looking at that one little verse and connecting it to Jesus and thinking about the Exodus story, there's, there's so, much, so much truth in all of that. And we think about Jesus, there's so much mystery, so much we cannot fully understand. But this is the reason why he came into this world. He came to die in order to save us. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you been made right with God, reconciled to him, forgiven of your sin? Christ invites each one of us to put our faith in him turn from taking control of our own lives to giving it over to him, to make him our Lord and Savior. If we are believers, you know it's a story we've heard countless times, the story of the birth of Jesus and, and why, he, why he lived and died upon this earth. And maybe we hear it so many times that maybe we just grow numb to it. It doesn't really affect us as it should. But we should be filled with, with gratefulness, with love for God. It all goes back to the gospel, really, why we should live the way that we're commanded to in Scripture. It's not out of obligation, but it should be out of love for God, for what He has done for us. And so we should be filled with love for God, when we think about these great mysteries when it comes to the incarnation, who Jesus is, how he humbled himself, the great love that God has for us, what Jesus came to do, all of these things should inspire us to, to live the way that, that Christ told us to live. So may we not grow cold or numb to the story of the birth of Jesus. May we be amazed. May we be filled with wonder. May we be filled with love and hope because of what God has done for us.